Good morning. How are you guys today? Good. Today we're talking about agendas. And agenda is a word that you kids probably don't use all that often, just a hunch. An agenda is basically a to-do list. So in a little while, after church today, we actually have some meetings. We're going to have an open forum. We're going to all have conversations about our ministry here at Mount Olive. We're going to have a voters meeting where we'll make some decisions. And both of those meetings have an agenda. They have a to-do list, things we need to talk about. We could always add things to the list and talk about more things, but generally speaking, you set your agenda, your to-do list beforehand, and then you, you do it. So today in God's word, he's uncovering for us the agenda of his church, what he has given us as a church to do. And it's not what we would expect. It's not to optimize, to make Mount Olive the best church it could possibly be. It's actually a lot simpler than that. It's preaching the gospel. Well, in our Old Testament lesson from Jeremiah, we heard God tell Jeremiah what he was going to do when he preached the word. And it sounds kind of hard. He says, you're going to uproot, tear down, destroy, and overthrow. Those are all destructive words. Uproot, like you pull a tree up out of the ground, You tear down a building, you destroy a building, you overthrow a ruler, a king. That God's word, when we preach the gospel, is going to do those destructive things? That sounds kind of hard. And only two things are positive, build and plant. And this is talking about people. That when the word of God is preached, when the gospel is preached, it's going to uproot my sinful nature. It's going to tear down my pride and my ego and my view of myself, thinking I'm really good. It's going to tear that down and destroy it and overthrow that little king inside of me who thinks he's pretty great and who's going to do all the the good things. The word of God is destructive. It tears that down. But then the word of God also plants and builds. Plants a, a new seed of faith in our hearts and builds a a new foundation on the the foundation of Christ. It builds a a new building to serve God. Sounds simple enough, but it's kind of hard. Do you think Jeremiah liked hearing, you're going to go out and you're going to uproot and tear down, destroy and overthrow? You think the people were going to be very happy with him when he preached that message to them? It's going to be hard. This is hard work, maybe intimidating work. And yet the agenda is set. We don't get to decide what the to-do list is. God tells us what it is. Preach the gospel. And today we're going to wrestle with that a little bit. We're going to wrestle with what it means to preach the gospel. What the gospel says to us that we don't like to hear, but what the gospel says about Jesus, who died for each and every one of us so that we could be in God's kingdom forever. Let's say a prayer and ask God to help us listen to his word today. Heavenly Father, you have given us our agenda to preach the gospel. As the gospel is preached today, as as we hear your word, work in us what, what you will. Uproot, destroy, tear down, overthrow all in us that must be destroyed. Plant and and build in us a new person, eager to serve you day after day. Bless the work of your gospel to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
The portion of God's word that we'll focus our attention on this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke chapter 4. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them. He would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because this is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We are living through unprecedented times and seeing things that most of us probably never thought we would see. For a a long period of time, human beings just stopped gathering. And that was particularly strange because we're social creatures. We we like to gather. And And I realized that long before COVID, there were some of us who avoided large crowds because large crowds mean slow highways, busy airports. Some of us maybe are a little overstimulated in large crowds, and so we, we'd prefer to, to stay away. And yet the fact remains, we like to gather in general. There's a unity to gathering. You ever thought about how as churches were closed for two months and as Stadiums and arenas that generate millions of dollars became echo chambers, and as theaters became silent. You ever think about the impact that has on on people? Because as much as there is to divide humanity, religion, politics, culture, just to name a few, when people gather before a comedian and they all are united in laughter, Nobody's really thinking about their differences and their disagreements. Same thing is true as whole arenas unite in song, singing the songs of the favorite artist, the favorite band. Nobody's wondering what church you go to or what your politics are. Those things don't seem to matter. Whole towns come together at high school fields to cheer on the local team. Cities pack Arenas, states gather together to follow a team. There's a unity in gathering, and that was just lost for a while. And that's thinking about it from the perspective of the crowd itself, right? You ever think about the perspective of the people who the crowds gather to see? It's got to be a pretty cool thing to be a comedian who makes a whole theater laugh And you know, as you look out, these people would not come together 
under other circumstances. These are not people who are united in politics or religion or culture, and yet here they are all laughing at my jokes. That must be a pretty powerful thing. Or to be the kind of band that can go on a world tour and sell out arenas, not just in their hometown, not just in their home country, but across the world, even arenas full of people who don't speak their language, they've still gathered to hear them. That must be pretty powerful. And I don't know what it's like to have a whole state cheer for me, to have a a college arena packed to see me play a game. Maybe some of you do. Many of us participated in high school sports or elementary school sports. People came and and cheered for our teams. That's a a powerful thing. For a while, that has been impacted in our culture. Our text for today is an incredible contrast from last week. Last week, we saw Jesus in his hometown of Nazareth, and we saw a crowd united against him. All these people, these familiar faces, he would have known many of the people, if not all of the people in the crowd, they unite against him, and they're so united in their hatred of him that they try to drive him over a cliff. Now our text picks up in the middle of the next account. Jesus has left Nazareth. He walked right through that crowd that wanted to kill him. He goes to Capernaum, and the part that we don't have in our text today is very similar to how he started last week in Nazareth. He goes to the synagogue. He preaches the word. But there's this one difference. While he's preaching the word of God, a demon-possessed man yells something out. This didn't happen in Nazareth. In Capernaum, this demon yells out, go away, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus sternly tells the demon to come out of the man. It does. And then the narrative shifts to our text where they've now left the synagogue and they go to the house of Simon, Simon Peter, who's not actually a disciple yet at this particular time. Next chapter of Luke, he becomes a follower of Jesus. But they go to Simon's house and Simon's mother-in-law is sick. And our text said that she has a high fever. This is one of those spots where our cultural context can make it a little challenging for us to relate. If we have a high fever, what do we do? Well, either you're a Tylenol family or you're an Advil family, right? And you pull out the one that you generally go to that seems to work best for you and you take a couple and see if that helps. If it's not helping, then maybe you do the stacking thing where you do the Tylenol and then midway through the Tylenol, you take the Advil. And then midway through that, you take another Tylenol, right? And if that still isn't helping, well, then maybe we go to a doctor and we try to figure out what's the cause of this. Is it viral? I just have to wait it out. Or could I maybe just get some antibiotics that'll wipe this thing out? We get a fever, even if it's high, generally pretty easy to treat. In Jesus' day, obviously that was different, right? They didn't have those options. But this is particularly interesting because it's a high fever. The Greek word here for high is megalo. It gives us the word mega. Luke is trying to tell us something here. And remember, Luke was a doctor. He was a physician by trade. He's saying this this was a high fever. This was a bad fever. She was in in deep trouble. Jesus comes over her bed and he heals her so fully she needs no recovery time. None. 
She just gets up and starts scurrying around serving all the people in the house. Well, between Jesus driving out the demon in the synagogue and Jesus rebuking the fever, speaking to the fever and it's gone, those two miracles spread like crazy. The word spread throughout Capernaum. And that very night at sunset, we're told all the people who had any kind of sickness or disability, any kind of infirmity, they all start coming to Jesus. They're flooding to him. The crowd is gathering. But Jesus doesn't treat them like a crowd. He doesn't perform in front of the masses. He doesn't say, be healed. And instantly every single person's healed. The text is very clear. One by one, one at a time, he goes around the room and heals every single person. Every one of their ailments was unique. Jesus did not treat them like a mass of humanity. Each one, one at a time, all night long, he took care of them and healed them. But then at sunrise, Jesus sneaks off. He, he goes for a solitary place to get a little rest. And could you blame him? He's been selflessly taking care of individuals, one person at a time, all night long. He just wants to get away, have a little time to recharge. And what happens? The crowds find him. And they want him to stay. Could you blame him if he wanted to stay? Especially after what had just happened in Nazareth? A whole crowd of familiar people hated him, wanted him dead. But now this people, they, they love him. This group of people appreciate him. Could you blame him if he wanted to just stick around for a little while and, and really work on that group in Capernaum, optimize? But no, he's, he's got to go. He's got to go to the next town to preach the gospel. He can't stay. A congregation is a gathering of people. That's all it is. It's a gathering of humans. Some come, some go. It's a gathering of humans. That's it. What is this particular gathering of humans going to be about? What's our, our why? Why are we here? In the fellowship hall on the wall, it says, growing in grace, living in love. So sometime before I arrived here, the congregation decided on a mission statement, and I think that summarizes it best, right? Growing in grace, living in love. That's what we're about. Okay, so how do we know if we're doing that? How do we measure that? We're a gathering of people, but we're really a couple gatherings of people, right? We have our Thursday gathering of people, and there's a, a couple who just come on Thursday. It's like a Thursday congregation. And then we have the Sunday congregation, the people who, who regularly gather on Sundays, but hardly ever on Thursdays. And then we have some who bounce back and forth, depending on what's going on during the week. Are we just supposed to kind of track the metrics, just watch the trends? And if Thursday night attendance is slowly increasing, and if Sunday morning attendance is increasing, then we're growing, growing in grace. What kind of growing are we talking about? How do you, how do you measure growing in grace? Is it something you can measure? Should we be consulting? Should we be consulting others who've appeared to be growing in grace and ask them, how, how are you growing in grace and what might it look like for us to be like you? Is, 
Is that a good idea? What do we do if it seems like we're not growing? Do we just maintain? Do we just try to manage what we have? It is so easy for us to lose our way. And I think there's a a reason for that. It starts right here. It's easy for me to believe that Jesus died. It's easy for me to believe that Jesus died for the world. I'll even go so far as to say it's easy for me to believe that Jesus died for me. But what's hard for me to believe is that Jesus loves me and cares for me the way I am right now. Struggling with sin. Failing day after day in all the the different responsibilities that God has placed in my life. It's hard for me to believe that Jesus takes the time to hover over my bed and heal me of my unique sickness the way he did for Peter's mother-in-law. Is that really what Jesus does? Like, is he really caring for each and every one of us as individuals? Does he go around this room and one at a time heal us of our unique illness? I mean, we're all sinners, right? We all, we're all in that boat together. We're all sinners. But boy, that sin sure reveals itself in different ways in our lives, doesn't it? The things you struggle with, are very different from the things the person next to you struggles with? Is that really what we believe, that that Jesus has the time to go around this room and to heal every single one of us, one at a time? Why are we here? What are we we all about? It's easy for us to think about Jesus and what he did. He did. And especially as people who have probably heard the gospel before, Jesus lived that perfect life for us. He died on the cross and he rose from the dead. But it is so easy for us to lose sight of what the cross means. Because on the cross, Jesus did not just kind of serve this big blob of humanity, kind of broad brushstrokes over the whole thing. No, on the cross, Jesus was healing one individual at a time. This world's population is estimated to be a little over 7.9 billion people. I remember when I was a kid and, and it became a 7 billion population. That was a big deal. They made a big deal. We had 7 million people in the world, 7 billion people in the world. Did you know that they're projecting that in the next 12 months we're going to hit 8? Eight? 8 billion, they're saying. In in no time at all. And that's the people who are alive right now, this very moment. Doesn't count the people who died last year. Doesn't count the people who died 10 years ago, 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago, all the way back to creation. It does not count the people who have come before us and not knowing how long until Jesus comes back. It does not count the people who will come after this moment. That's a lot of people. And on the cross, Jesus endured the punishment for each sin, for each sinner. The specific sins of every single human being in this room, and not just in this room. 
The specific sins of every single human being who has ever lived is living now or will ever live. All of it. On the God-man. At one point in time. That's amazing. Jesus, the Son of God, endured the punishment for the sins of the whole world, which is great news because it means definitely for me, definitely for you, but don't lose sight of what it means that he cares for you as an individual, that he knows every single thing you struggle with in the last 12 hours, let alone the last 12 days, 12 months, 12 years, your whole life, Jesus knows every single detail of every single challenge. He knows every single sin He's already endured the punishment for all of them. The sins are real. The sinner is real. And God's word makes no bones about it as he uproots and tears down and destroys and overthrows. But he also makes it very clear who our Savior is and what he's come to do. That he is the Savior who looks at you as an individual and heals you of your individual challenges and sins, just as he has forgiven me. If it's easy for us to lose sight of that, why would it surprise us that it's also easy for us to lose sight of our purpose as a congregation? In a few minutes, we are going to close worship here and take a five-minute break and then come right back in here to start an open forum and voters meeting where we will discuss the business of the church, right? We're going to talk about things like structure. We're going to talk about things like budgets. And in a sense, it's good stewardship to do so. It's good management of the resources that God gives. But you know, if you talk about the money enough and how it's going to be used if you talk about the structure enough and how to optimize it, you know what happens? You don't do the thing that you're supposed to be doing, which is preach the gospel. You get so wrapped up in the details of the organization, the details of the business, that you forget what the business of the church is. It's to preach the gospel. That's it. If we're united on why we're here, the bazillion different hows don't really matter. We could go about this in an infinite number of ways as long as we're preaching the gospel. As long as we're a congregation that's about preaching the gospel inside its walls and outside of its walls. And so let's ask our God to help us stay focused on the why. Let's ask our God to help us stay focused on why we're here, to preach the gospel, to preach it with individuals, to tell the people in our lives that Jesus loves them as an individual, that he knows their unique challenges and that he's died for them, that he's forgiven them just like he's forgiven us. Let's make every effort to manage the resources that God has given us to the best of our ability. But let's stay focused on what we're all about.
preaching the gospel of sins forgiven in Jesus, who gets all the credit, who gets all the praise, who gets all the glory in his name. Amen.